0: Sound design. I'm going to sound very Academy Award right now. <laughs> sound design. <laughs> I, I just want to say we've moved as, at a snail's pace in terms of technology. Technology. So bear with us. Mm-hmm. We do this all by ourselves here at Hollywood Crime
1: Scene Studios.
0: <laughs> I just chugged a cup of coffee. Okay. I'm very on edge right now.
1: I'm so hyper.
0: I'm very happy Desi's here because I need um, a space to channel my anxiety.
1: Oh, that sounds exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so I heard this story today is grisly. It's, uh, it's gonna be. Yeah. Right. It's pretty grisly. Right. Um, did you have anything you want to say up top?
0: Or? Uh, I don't know if I mentioned, I think I saw hereditary the day after we recorded last week. Oh, right. I think that, yeah, but I literally haven't stopped thinking about it since I've thought about it every single day since I love horror movies and this is definitely my favorite horror movie of the year. I don't even have to see one more horror movie this year. It's my favorite. Wow. And one of my favorite like just I mean, I don't like to separate horror movies like I th- I'm like of the asshole horror connoisseur that's like horror movies have always been good. You guys are just fucking asleep. Right. So, when people were like, "Is this a new era of elevated horror films?" It's like, "Calm down. Like, right. there's always been elevated horror films." Would I you- think
1: that they're just usually smaller and people don't know about them. But like the big budget sort of ones that everyone Or, know about. I
0: mean, yeah. And there's obviously like that whole era of like torture porn stuff. I hate torture right. porn. Like I don't watch it. I don't, I think it's, it's not for me. It's for some people, but it's not for me. Um, I won't even say it's bad. It's just not my cup of tea. Right. Uh, but this movie fucked up my whole week in a like way that I just want to talk about it with everyone who's seen it. Cool. It was so good. That's it. That's all I have to say.
1: Okay. So um, then let's just get into this story. Let's do it. Okay. We'll do Patreon at the end. Okay. So this month, the trial, a trial began in LA and it is the trial of a man named Blake Leibel or Lebel. I should have figured out how to say his name. Leibel. I'm going to do Leibel. Okay. So just deal with it. You don't know who he is, so you don't even know if I'm fucking saying it <laughs>
0: wrong. You're going to know after <laughs> I this. I don't. I don't know who he is. Um,
1: so Blake is a... 36 year old trust fund baby man. Sounds great already. And in many stories that I read about this guy, people called him a trustafarian. Oh, have you I, heard that term yes. before?
0: Yes, I have.
1: He's he's kind of like someone who probably went to fire festival, like that type of guy, like totally. very rich and aimless. He's from Toronto, home of um, one of our faves, Rob Ford. Right. And he moved to L.A. to pursue a career in Hollywood. And now he is most famous, though, for being on trial for the murder of his Ukrainian girlfriend and model and the mother of his baby, Iana Kasian. <gasps> I do know this story. Okay. I'm so excited. So this murder has been described by the LAPD as the most brutal murder in L.A. history. Which is really what? saying something, if you know... There's a lot of famous brutal murders coming out of L.A., so yeah. it's going to be pretty gruesome, so I guess I'm giving a trigger warning, although I'm not getting to that part until a little bit, um, but yeah, it's pretty gruesome. But we're going to talk
0: about some gruesome stuff.
1: Gruesome stuff is coming your way, uh, so if you're squeamish, I don't know. Tune I, you know, in next week. Tune in next week when we talk about, I don't know, some guy getting a blowjob. Pee Herman <laughs> jacking
0: off in a theater. <laughs>
1: I I mean, I think it's, it's, it's not like involving kids or anything. So it's not like gruesome or horrifying in that way, but it's pretty, it's pretty bad. And I'm going to go into detail. Good. Uh, The other thing you need to know about this guy is he's a huge fucking nerd. Like he is the toxic nerd asshole, baby temper tantrum guy that we, me and Rachel know pretty well in LA. Uh, So let's begin. Blake, Uh, As I said, grew up rich and privileged in Toronto, a total entitled dick who never had to suffer any consequences for his actions. Sounds like you wrote that line. Uh, I did write that line. (laughs) (laughs) His father, Lorne, was a former Olympian sailboat racer, and then he became a billionaire real estate developer. Which uh, sounds pretty familiar if you are aware of who our president is. <laughs> he's another orange piece of shit sociopath who had a billionaire real estate developer uh, father. Um, Lauren is also like a playboy. Like he's big in Canada. He's like in the tabloids. Yeah. Or he was back in the day, probably now for this. Uh, as a playboy of all playboys, he had Ferraris. He has an estate in Toronto's most exclusive neighborhood that's 300 acres. Um, but despite you know all of that success, the father also has a lot of scandals, um, as I mentioned. Not just the playboy stuff, though. He was actually, in 1976, he became the first Canadian Olympian to test positive for illegal drug use. Uh, in addition to the playboy sort of scandals, he had also been the uh, he had been sued for um, by sex workers for sexually transmitting diseases towards them like knowingly yeah or just like fucking being gross so he's been in the press a lot for just being a fucking dick and of course he denies you know all charges. He also had some drug things like outside of the Olympic thing. His wife, Eleanor, who is Blake's mother, they separated when Blake was really young, but they remained married. She also comes from a lot of money. Her her father had a plastics empire in Canada, so she kind of came into the um, marriage with her own wealth. She also brought into the marriage and to her kids uh, a long history, like through her mother's side of the family, a severe mental illness, which will kind of come into play later. Blake has a brother named Cody, who I think is two years older than him. When they got separated, Cody stayed with Lauren, and Blake went to live with his mom. Cody is kind of like the cooler brother. Like, as Blake is like this sort of schlubby, nerd kind of comic book video game, whatever. Right. uh, Cody is more like the athletic one. In fact, he had like a sort of amateur hockey career going for a bit. Lauren really sort of doted on Cody. That was like obviously his favorite son. He even went so far as to build a house for the hockey coach of Cody's like team in order to kind of endear him and sort of help his hockey career. But it, it, it ended up going nowhere. So Blake always kind of felt left out of that relationship between his brother and father. It actually tormented him. According to several friends, he always was sort of scared of his father. He wanted to impress him and prove that he was not a mistake and try to earn his father's love and all of that kind of stuff, which is really hard to do when you have an asshole father and just ask Don junior. <laughs> <laughs> that was an ad lib. Right. I didn't write that. It's funny though. Cause it throughout doing this whole, um, story or researching it there are so many similarities but it is right. just this thing i think when you come from this entitlement right you just have no fucking clue what the real world is like and you believe your own bullshit right like you earned it you've never been told no well not only that but it's like you don't even realize that other people really struggle like oh yeah, you're like i course. built everything it's like yeah but you started off with a <laughs> 20 million dollar inheritance you or whatever. On, you like, started on
0: third base yeah
1: exactly um, so Blake did go to college and eventually him and a group of his friends moved to LA, including his brother Cody, who kind of developed into sort of a Hollywood playboy. He started a record label called C note records. Do you know this? The Blake started this record label? No, Cody, the cool, oh, Cody, the cool okay. brother. And he also began dabbling in real estate development at the age of 23, Cody became the world's youngest owner of a 1.2 million dollar Ferrari Enzo. There's only like a few hundred in existence, I guess. At that time, I have no idea what that car is, but that's an insane thing, I think, to have a 1.2 million dollar car.
0: Which also not a real accomplishment, considering that's your right. Oh, he's the money. youngest person
1: ever! Wow. <laughs> it's like, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Rich fuck. Blake was more of the geek. He uh, has been described kind of as sort of annoyingly too smart for his own good. Like, I do think he is bright, but in a sort of irritating know-it-all kind of way. Right. He, as I mentioned before, was like very into video games and comic books and all of those kind of things. He was not, as far as I know, an (laughs) (laughs) alt-comic. But he did want to sort of be like a Joss Whedon type, you know, like a a big player in that kind of nerd culture, right, uh, world in entertainment. Because he did have a lot of connections and he had money, and that's just going to get your foot in the door in this town. So he did start kind of pitching things around town, mostly in the sci-fi and horror genre. One of the rumors about him is that when he would go to some of these pitch meetings, he would bring in a copy of that movie, Faces of Death. And he was a big fan Of those movies and he'd like want to show people like have you seen this it's like friends also said that he was kind of like a big talker he had a lot of cool ideas but just like did not have any way of ever implementing those ideas like he never brought them to fruition it was like all talk and like you know talking about these great big things he was going to do and all these cool ideas he had Uh, another person said that he was sort of someone that would be described as a genius, but the reality is he was more of a salesman and a con artist, which is also very Trump. So like any mediocre man who has a lot of confidence, (laughs) that salesman bravado does eventually pay off for Blake. And he ended up directing a movie in 2008 that was kind of a high school comedy, indie movie called Bald. Uh, He also got a job working for Mel Brooks as a story storyboard supervisor and creative consultant on Spaceballs, the animated series, which I have never seen. But that sounds like a pretty good gig. Right. The people who worked with him on that film, Bald, uh, which Sally Kirkland was in it, that's like the big star. (laughs) It did go straight to DVD. They kind of also described him very similarly to the Friends, like he was you know, a teddy bear, he just wanted to make everyone laugh and he, you know, even though he had that kind of obnoxious personality, it seemed to be coming from a good place. Okay. Right. So that's sort of his deal. He at that point after the movie and the the cool job with Mel Brooks, he kind of became a little bit more Hollywood. He started one of the articles I read said that he started calling people angel what no it just seems really stupid like angel pants <clears throat> hey angel yeah <laughs> some guy said that to me we were laughing about it i know i was like what the fuck what is i've never heard that before <laughs> i mean what about like doll or baby or something right like angel okay <laughs> he also was a fixture at comic-con like he went almost you know he every went to year, all the cons right all the cons he was popular at those too. He was like the guy who had all the weed and one play, one article I read said he had snacks and I was like, well, this does sound like a great guy. Right. He has weed and snacks. Like right. He thought of bringing snacks, which is very thoughtful. And he probably had the big hotel suite too. Right, but I did love that he, uh, that they described him as always having snacks well, for some reason. Did he have like a little fanny pack full of snacks? I have no idea. And what kind of snacks He always they? carried a mini fridge with him <laughs> full of hotel snacks. In 2006... Blake met a model named Amanda Braun, and she was a real party girl on the on this Hollywood scene at the time. Uh, at some point before they met, she had dated a man named Andrew Altchek, who was a hedge fund manager who was convicted of running a Ponzi scheme, and he was actually sent to prison for that where he was killed. In prison? Yes. So uh, he was killed much after, uh, in 2010, so that was like a few years after they met. But after she had had that experience with this guy, you know, the the guy she was dating going to prison and being a fucking piece of shit, in her opinion, she's like, you know what? I'm going to date this nerd who is a good guy. It's going to be different this time. That's a safe choice. And as Rachel and I know, that is not how it fucking works, ladies. (laughs) Nerds can oftentimes be the biggest piece of shit and you don't even see it coming because you think they'd be so grateful to be with you. They aren't. They have a lot of anger. (laughs)
0: We know this from personal experience. Listen,
1: I'm don't all not all nerd me. We know there <laughs> don't are good, hear it. We know there, sure there are wholesome nerds. Whatever. We know there
0: are good nerds out there. But we live in Los Angeles.
1: I'm just saying it shouldn't be. Oh, he's a nerd. This is a good guy. Then you're going to get yourself into trouble. You should always treat every man guilty, guilty yes. until
0: proven innocent. trash until proven innocent.
1: <laughs> they were like real opposites. Like she. After they got together, he was definitely like the homebody and she was still kind of out partying, but she's a good girl. Like she isn't like treating him like shit or anything like that. They got married in 2011 and she was almost immediately pregnant with a a baby who was a boy uh, and that was their first child. Around the same time um, they got married in 2011, Blake's mom, Eleanor, was dying of brain cancer and he was an emotional wreck. Obviously, he was really close to his mom. But that stress kind of led him to become a real fucking asshole. Like he started having more temper tantrums and he became verbally abusive because we know when big fucking babies don't get their way, (laughs) they freak the fuck out on everybody around them. So he was not only emotionally abusive to his wife, but to almost everybody in his life. And it was like the typical thing of like going off on someone and apologizing and being like, I'm really sorry, I'm under a lot of stress. With my mom. And I think people forgave him initially, but it's like after 10 times, it's kind of like, you know what? Like a lot of people's mom, you know, die or have cancer or whatever. Right. You can't treat people like shit nonstop, like just because that's happening. His mom eventually dies of brain cancer and Blake couldn't go to the funeral because he couldn't handle it. Uh, He didn't go to his mom's funeral? Yes. But that to me is also like a very selfish thing. Like, I can't handle. It's like, you just fucking go and suck it up. Like, whatever. I'm sure there was probably other reasons because he was having issues with his dad and with his brother. Um, One of the problems was that the mom had, like, as I said, a lot of money. uh, And I think she wanted to leave most of that to Blake. At some point the will was changed last minute and a lot of that money ended up going to Lauren, her ex-husband. Right. So Blake accused his dad of manipulating her into changing the will. And the truth of the matter is it could have been because they had like a weird arrangement. It could have yeah. been something that just never was changed. But the dad is a dick because it's like, just give the fucking guy the money. Like, you don't need it, you're a billionaire. Right. So that led to like very bad blood between Blake and his dad. And I think Kind of a little bit with the brother, but not as much as the dad. Like he still was in a in contact with his brother, uh, but his personality became even more toxic after that. And uh, many friends at that point sort of abandoned him permanently. Right. He did have one loyal friend who had always been there for for him. Uh, moved to Hollywood with him from Canada, and his name is Jeremy Tenser, and he will end up being part of the story in a major way. And that is Blake's loyal friend to the end. Like he is still Blake's loyal friend. They, I'm sorry. Did they know each other since, like, I think from before? Canada? Yeah, from Canada before he moved here. So okay. they've been long friends, longtime friends. Uh, and Jeremy had a low level job, I think, as an assistant to an agent at William Morris. So that's he's sort of in that end of the Hollywood business, right? Like, so because he had this connection at William Morris, his friend Jeremy got him connected to the actor Wilmer Valderrama. And Wilmer, I guess, has some kind of publishing thing going, and he got some of Blake's graphic novels published. One of them is called Operation Redux, which is about Nazis in New York City's Twin Towers.
0: Which, by the way, can I just say about Wilmer Valderrama? Sure. He is, in my opinion, most famous for dating every single hot teen slash early 20s Right star in the mid 2000s. Right. He dated everyone. I don't understand it how he dated everybody. Because
1: he played like a dumbass on that show, so he was like non-threatening to them. But I, I don't think that he was the opposite of his character. He was such a party guy. He was a party guy, but he played like this total dipshit, right? On that 70s shows, like I feel like that's a classic example of these women thinking he was that guy on the show, right? right. But he was like a total player. But he dated Mandy Moore. He dated Lindsay Lohan. He dated a, a Hillary
0: Duff, probably. I feel like Hillary. He Duff. dated fucking everybody. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. <clears> I just <throat> I have a lot of opinions about Wilmer Valderrama in that era. That's for another totally. show.
1: Another of the books that Wilmer published was um, called Syndrome, and I'm going to get into that in a bit. That was actually a graphic novel that was published, and then they sold the rights to that graphic novel to Lionsgate in 2014 to make a movie version. Okay, I'm going to go into Syndrome because this plays a major part oh, into really? this case. Oh, really? Yes. Syndrome is all kinds of foreshadowing, guys. <laughs> uh, the cover of the graphic novel is a baby that is... Basically, scalped. What? Uh, the the logo on the cover of the graphic novel says, if you loved hurting things, what would you do? Uh, the graphic novel also has in it a beheaded woman lying in a pool of blood on her bed. The story is basically described as a rogue neuropathologist makes a startling breakthrough, literally isolating the root of all evil in the recesses of the human brain. On a description on Amazon, they say, With the help of a naive Hollywood actress, a tormented motion picture director, and a condemned serial killer, Dr. Wolf Brunswick launches a bold experiment in the Nevada desert, the outcome of which could transform humanity forever. This book is basically about sociopaths. And okay. has like like it's a graphic novel and it's very graphic. It has depictions, like I said before, the scalped baby, this woman literally in a pool of blood in her bed, like just a very graphic book about murder and sociopathy. So at the um same time, Blake begins attending high stakes poker games that were run by Molly Bloom, who was the subject of that movie with Jessica Chastain, Molly's Game that came out last year. Did you see that movie? No, but I remember. So These poker games that were run by this woman were big time fucking gambler, secret poker games that were sort of run in mansions and hotels in Beverly Hills and other high end areas in LA. Uh, Some of the gamblers included Leonardo DiCaprio, Tobey Maguire, and just like random millionaires and billionaires with tons of fucking money. right? I mean, these were straight out of the movies kind of things. They had like high-end escorts there, drugs, armed security, because people were literally betting millions of dollars. So there's a ton of cash at these places. Now, Blake did go to some of these games uh, or get poker games, but he wasn't a regular. His brother Cody was, though. uh, And he even hosted some of those games at his own mansion in Beverly Hills. Cody was what is described... In the gambling world, as a whale. Do you know what a whale is? I don't. A whale is basically a rich asshole who <laughs> sucks at poker, but they like inviting him to the games because they can take him for every fucking penny that he has. Okay. So that's what a whale is. And he was sort of a very famous whale and invited to all of these games because he was a fucking idiot is who that was like, way too cocky. Because it's the opposite of a shark? Maybe. I, I didn't don't even know. think about it. It's it's a term I saw in like several articles, so I figured I didn't research the origin of it. Right, but maybe yeah, because a shark, yeah, because it's like a bloated fat fucking fuck <laughs> who has tons of money, but it's too slow. Like maybe yeah. So these games got bigger and bigger, and eventually kind of spread outside of Los Angeles and on onto the East Coast. And as it, as they kind of got bigger, their connections to organ, organized crime. Grew, including connections to the russian mafia and get this fucking thing like i almost was like r- r- red alert everybody like i almost sent out a blast on twitter <laughs> these games sometimes with the russian mafia were held at trump tower what
0: i know get this eric garland on the I phone know, this is
1: like an article that one that i saw that in was from 2014 or 2016 i think so it's like part of me was like, does everybody know this? Like, do we know this? These, like, games with the Russian mob were held at Trump Tower? Amazing. Should I, like, report this to MSNBC or something? Rachel Maddow? She's gonna have a meltdown if you tell her. I thought that was, like, insane when I read that. I was like, what? Like... That's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. I actually put that in my notes. What? (laughs) It's written in all caps. So, the, the connections to the mob, like, as these sort of things got bigger and Blake, uh, Cody was more involved in this. Blake kind of started getting more and more nervous because his brother was racking up this huge gambling debt oh my with God. all these like dangerous fucking people. Yeah. In April of 2013, federal prosecutors announced they were filing charges against more than two dozen people involved with these games, including um, Molly herself. And that kind of heightened Blake's stress about this world that his brother was involved in. There was another big gambling ring that Cody was wrapped up in. And that also got taken down around the same time. Uh, One of the guys, the lead guy in that ring actually had Cody, like, leverage his house to post bail.
0: Holy shit. And the house
1: was like a mansion that was over $2.5 million or something. So Cody was also, that just made it seem like he's in so much debt. Like, he must be in so much debt, like, to leverage a $2 million home uh, for this guy. That also made Blake sort of panic He started talking to his friend, Jeremy, uh, and he was really concerned that his brother's debt, gambling debt, had placed his own family in danger. And as I said, he had a wife and a young child at this point. Uh, He started becoming more and more paranoid. He thought that people were after him. He would think that someone was in the bushes taking pictures of him, stalking him. He was constantly texting Jeremy with all of these things that he thought was happening, like yeah. oh, today someone did this, da 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 da, and they just kept getting more and more crazy and conspiratorial. At some point, he actually texted uh, Jeremy a link to a health website page that was filled with random words and f- phrases. Uh, And Blake sort of scoured the page and found that amongst all those gibberish words, he saw Cody, Gambler, 15 million losses, Las Vegas and other terms. And he thought that someone was sending him like coded messages. I mean, and Jeremy kind of started believing him. He thought that all of this was real. He wasn't like, you know, you need to like go see a doctor, calm down. He kind of bought into all of uh, Blake's sort of delusions. So... Blake's paranoia kind of started extending to his dad. He started thinking his dad was also using his name to do shady dealings in Canada. By this point, it's about 2015, and his paranoia sort of really escalated to the point where he, he filed for a divorce from his wife, like literally out of nowhere. He left his wife and his eight uh, his young son, who at the time, by the way, she was eight and a half months pregnant with their second child, and he leased an apartment Where he put up his new girlfriend, a 29 year old model from the Ukraine named Ayana Kasian. All of his friends were literally in shock because he had a great relationship with his wife, by all accounts. Like, he really loved her. So, this was just sort of out of nowhere. Like, he uh, left his wife and was hooking up with this new woman. Ayana had arrived in uh, LA in 2014. There's like rumors that she was working as an escort, but of course, her family denies that. They said that she had graduated from law school and had moved to LA to become a translator. I have no idea. And it honestly, doesn't really matter to me. They really flaunted their affair. Like before the wife even knew what had happened, she saw them driving around Beverly Hills in a car and kind of followed them and confronted them at a restaurant. And while she was at this restaurant where they were confronting them, Cassian rubbed her belly gently and said, I'm pregnant. And she was pregnant with Blake's child. Whoa. So he had another woman pregnant. This is August of 2015 at this point. Were they divorced at that point? No, or were they-, they were separated. So he had obviously been having an affair. It had been I ongoing. I don't really know how long, but enough to have been pregnant. Right. Um, so you'd think she was at least a few months pregnant before she'd be bragging about it. I don't know uh wait right, august cuz she has the baby in may so she was newly pregnant right
0: beauty should be good for you and that's why we're excited to tell you about beauty counter beauty counter is a clean makeup and skincare brand that started in 2013 disrupting the beauty industry by shedding a light on the need for stronger ingredient regulations in the personal care products that we use daily
1: Today, Beauty Counter is the leading clean beauty brand creating innovative and high-performing products that are safer and cleaner than even their like-minded competitors. So what do we mean by
0: clean? Over 1,800 questionable ingredients are never used in Beauty Counter's formulations. They call this their never list. You can learn more at beautycounter.com, where you're also going to want to check out their incredible products.
1: Best of all, if you're a new customer and you order through March 15th, you'll get free shipping on your order of $100 or more when you use the code HOLLYWOOD. Once again, to get free shipping on your order of $100 or more, go to beautycounter.com and use the code HOLLYWOOD. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting
0: into debt is easy. Getting out of it is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high interest credit card debt. I know firsthand that there's nothing more frustrating than trying to pay something down and your payments are pretty much just paying off the interest. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you. The best part? Once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. So free yourself from the burden of high interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is top ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash Hollywood to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash Hollywood.
1: At this time, Blake had also been seeing a third woman. Her name was Constant Bukha Furry. <laughs> Wait, Bukha Furry? <laughs> yeah, Fury. F-U-R-R-I. I mean, that's up there with Buttafuku, right? It is, it is. And she is insane, by the way, in a kind of a great way, but she is not a good person. Uh, she's also a storyboard artist and they had known each other for several years. They worked on something together and she had quite a record of offenses on her hands. Uh, mostly things like drunk driving, disorderly conduct, resisting arrest kind of things, you know, like not like the worst criminal, but just like a little out of control. Maybe. Right. She kind of claims that it was a professional relationship and then they fucked, um, but that Blake was obsessed with her. She's not the most reliable witness, by the way. And you'll okay. See. There's going to be more later. And you're like, what? At this point, it's early December 2015. Uh, he's with Ayana and he purchased another house in West Hollywood for Buka Furry to live in. <laughs> Sorry. I know the name is insane. I should just call her Constance, but I can't stop saying Buka Furry. It's like a sex act, right? <laughs> <laughs> I gave her the book of furry. It's like a, you're getting butt fucked by a furry or something. <laughs> totally. I, don't I don't know. I just came up with that, guys. I could do better. <laughs> <laughs> um. So six weeks after he buys this house for her to live in, they split up. But she continues to live in the house. She actually ends up becoming friends with his wife, Amanda. And they're kind of bonded by their mutual hatred of Ayana. That's like their thing. <laughs> Wait, so Buca Furry becomes friends with the- Amanda, uh-huh. the wife, and their bond is that they both hate Ayana. Okay, okay. okay. So Not the guy, not Blake. No. Ayana. They're, they're kind of going after her. Uh, so she shares some texts with the Hollywood Reporter in this story that I read. The initial one was like, Let's call INS on her so she can d- get deported. I swear to God, Amanda, I want you to have justice. I am Team You. So oh. I think Constance is really building up, Amanda. Like right. I'm on your side. Let's fucking do this. Like Constance is definitely the driving force in this it, in this sort of bad relationship. And it's between not them. it's not out of friendship or solidarity. No, I think it's like it's personal. It's vengeance. personal vengeance. Braun does con- describe Ayana as the nastiest person that she had ever met. But you know, I mean, this is the woman who stole her husband, right? So I don't really know. To her, I can see how that would be absolutely true. In early spring of 2016, Blake and uh, Ayana go to Hawaii for a vacation. furry hired a private investigator to track them while they were in Hawaii, and the the private investigator would text her things, and then she would forward the text to Braun. She just. Keeps texting her things like, I told her everything. I want that whore deported. Braun would write back, what does it take? Um, At some point in mid-April of 2016, Ayanna's mother, Olga, arrives to help with the baby. The baby's due, I think, in May. So, I mean, in the mom's opinion, Ayanna has done well for herself. Like, she's in a really nice Hollywood apartment with a movie director boyfriend Um, Ayana does complain about Blake, that her life is not perfect. She complains about him smoking a lot of, uh, marijuana, taking hallucinogens, uh, stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, you're with a fucking man baby. Right. (laughs) Like that's a very typical situation, right? Blake, you know, took care of her. He had bought her a Mercedes. He took her, takes her on these fucking Hawaiian vacations and he was promising her that he would marry her and give her a ring, the future and all of that kind of stuff that she really wanted. Blake set up the mom in an apartment nearby, and on May 3rd, <clears throat> which was Olga's 60th birthday, her granddaughter Diana was born. So that's Blake and Diana's right. baby. Almost immediately after the birth of the baby, Blake became more erratic again. His behavior started going off the charts, and people started describing him as disruptive. Disrupt, disruptive, Like he was flipping out over the smallest things right. and just out of control. He started staying at home a lot and keeping the windows closed and the curtains drawn. When Olga would come, she would always open all the windows. It was like definitely like a mom thing, like, come on, let the sun shine in. Like, But I mean, that's such a desi- sign of depression or something going on when you want that darkness. And like, he would have the AC up really, really high. Right. Like, uh, they would fight a lot, Blake and Ayana, and he'd kind of kick her out to go to her mom's place all the time when they would fight. Like you know, He'd kick her out? Ayana and the baby out. Because he yeah. set up this apartment nearby, so it was kind of like, I guess this was his place, and he'd kick them out whenever he wanted to get rid of her. And then he just would smoke pot in this apartment and be all moody and dark for whatever all the time. About two weeks after the birth of Diana, Buka Furry files a rape allegation against Blake. Uh, she said that the assault had occurred months earlier when she and Blake first started dating and that Blake had assaulted her multiple times and infected her with an STD, which she had to seek treatment for now. She said that despite the fact that he raped her, she had forgiven him. I'm sorry, she's insane, though. <laughs> At that point, Blake asks his friend Jeremy to help evict her from the house because she's still living in the house that he owns when she files these rape charges against him, Just, just like insane to me.
0: Wait, Bukafuri was living in the house? She's still
1: living in the house oh. that he bought her. Right. When she files these rape charges against him, and then he because he's mad that she filed these charges against him, he gets he has to get her evicted. Right, from right, the house. right. It's a mess. This is like extreme
0: rich people problems. I
1: know. He he gets arrested for these charges. Like they were legit charges. It wasn't just like, she's like, he raped me. Like she filed a police report and he got arrested for it. Friends also said that when he was arrested, he got tasered and it threw him into a psychotically angry state of mind. And he was already on edge, on edge. Right. Um, at this point, Ayana calls the wife, to help her post bail she needs a hundred thousand dollars to bail him out of jail and she calls fucking amanda poor amanda cannot oh like catch a break so now amanda is working together with the woman who stole her husband or to whatever get ass to get asshole this out, asshole of jail. out of jail on rape charges for the other woman he was cheating on while he was in her i just want to hand her a Big copy of
0: Codependent No More.
1: <laughs> she needs that Mary
0: Jo Vadafoucault book. She needs getting it
1: through my thick skull. <laughs> um, so this is now, we're talking the end of May 2016. On May 26, uh, 2016, at about 1.40 a.m. in the morning, a hairdresser who lived in the area where Blake's uh, Blake and Ayanna's apartment was said she was out walking her dog she sabotaged a couple nearby fighting And she what she describes sounds like them It's like a young dark haired woman With an eastern European accent And a sloppy uh, dressed man <laughs> <laughs> Could be any couple in LA quite honestly, honestly A goes. very attractive woman and a slob and Oh a wait you're going to have to narrow it down A little more sweetheart <laughs> At some point she hears him Like saying baby come back here Come back here And she describes it as being like clearly this woman was trying to get away from this man. That is widely considered the last possible time that someone saw Ayanna alive. Her mother, uh, that day, had actually called the L.A. sheriff's uh, deputy to come accompany her to that apartment she hadn't heard from her daughter and was scared, right? They actually took her to the apartment but couldn't get in and they kind of just left because there's nothing I think they really could have done. It was like a, almost a courtesy to her. But she really started freaking out and that same day, the 26th, so that fight happened in the early a.m., so that morning she calls the police again and at that point they let her file a missing persons report and they return to the condo uh, the next day to kind of see what the fuck's going on. When they arrive at the condo that morning, they kind of enter the bedroom, they enter the apartment uh, and there's sort of a bedroom that the door was shut and locked. They announced themselves, and they started trying to kick that bedroom door down, but it wouldn't budge. He had put furniture against it on the inside, and a man was inside shouting. They didn't know at that point it was Blake, but it was. Eventually, he moves the furniture and allows them in. When they enter the room, they see... Ayana in the bed, covered from the neck down with a Mickey Mouse blanket. Her head is visible and her left arm, forearm is resting on her stomach over the blanket. He's standing off to the side, watching in silence. And the baby is, by the way, in the room. Three-week-old <gasps> baby. Oh, my God there was blood everywhere. The police thought that it looked as though Blake had been wiping walls and moving furniture to destroy evidence. In the deposition, a detective that was on the case said he had never seen a crime scene like the one that he had walked into that day. But that the look on his face, Blake's face, was very familiar to him. He said he didn't care that she was dead. It's kind of that sociotype uh, sociopath type of look on his face, his face. Like, I don't care that she's dead. I didn't do it. He had no feelings whatsoever. He actually acted surprised when the police said to him that she was dead. He said, uh, at that point, well then I guess you'll have to find out who did it. Like he's standing what? in a room with her with blood everywhere. And that's what he said. That room was not the only room that was covered in, um, blood the blood was like everywhere throughout the apartment there was two other bedrooms and another location where they found blood there was one place that they didn't find any blood though and that place that they did not find blood was in ayana's body she had been what completely emptied or as the prosecutor later would describe drained she had no blood in her body okay this is going to be the gruesome part i'm gonna get into this so the coroner, Jim Ribe, R-I-B-E, I'm assuming it's not rib. Ribe, when he examined the body, he really lays it out and it's pretty fucking gruesome. He said that many people die throughout the year uh, in that manner, like losing all of their blood. But the injury is very obvious usually, like a gunshot or a stab wound or something where they, all their blood comes out because they have a traumatic uh, injury of some sort. What he saw before him, he described as uniquely distressing. The average human body contains five liters of blood. She had less than a teaspoon of blood in her body when she was taken to uh, her autopsy. There were bite marks on her face, defensive wounds on her arms and wrists, but most of the blood loss had occurred, he said, because she had been scalped. The last reported scalping in the US had occurred in 2000 when a Cincinnati man shot his wife's lover repeatedly in the chest and with a shotgun and then removed his scalp to drive the point home. Ayanna's scalping wasn't incidental. Like that guy's was sort of like this fuck you at the end of his murder. This was like the cause of her death. Uh, it was a clean incision coming probably from some kind of blade. It was curved all the way down the base of her skull in a sharp line and back up around one ear. He testified. The coroner testified that the skin in her hair had been fully removed from her skull down to the surface of the bone and a portion of her face, including her right ear also being removed. Her entire scalp was traumatically absent and was not found, was not present with the body. There was no scalp present except for little bits in the back of the neck. In his deposition, the coroner noted that the only injuries he had seen that came anywhere close to this gruesome were two people who had been ripped apart by dogs because dogs always go after the head, he said. It's about like one in a million, very, very rare, I'm afraid. Uh, Well, I'm not afraid, I'm glad that's rare. (laughs) Um, There was another detail he testified to that a dead body cannot bleed out, which meant that Cassian had likely been alive for the duration of this uh, bleeding out. He concluded that she had suffered potentially for up to eight hours before she finally died. Her scalp was never found. He also went on to say that parts of her, the right side of her face, were also torn away. The posterior face on the right side was torn down all the way to the jawline. The official cause of her death was insanguination, which is the complete draining of blood from a person's body. The secondary cause was the blunt force trauma to her head. He had worked in uh, medicine for over 20 years, and he he said that, I have never seen this before. I doubt if any forensic pathologist in this country or abroad has ever seen this outside of wartime. Like, that's how gruesome he found this injury to be. So... Blake was obviously arrested and charged with murder, mayhem, aggravated mayhem, and torture. He was put into the Twin Towers Correctional Facility in downtown LA, which is actually has a large mental health facility as well, and he was on suicide watch. He didn't have uh, money for bail, so he stayed, he's been in jail uh, since uh, his arrest. He did have. Visitors in jail, as I mentioned before, his friend Jeremy and Bron, his poor fucking suffering wife also sort of started visiting him. She said that when she visited him in jail, initially he had scratches on and bruises all over his body, like that he had been attacked before his arrest. But I don't doubt that maybe there was a brutal struggle initially right. between the two. Bucafari also tried to visit him, but was arrested for di- violating, uh, some terms of a previous offense. I'm sorry, she's just like a maniac to me. Since the murder, Braun has come to see that Bukafari is actually dangerous and threatening, and she kind of described it as a single white female kind of thing with Bukafari. Mm-hmm. Right. Braun actually took out a temporary restraining order against her, and she claims in that temporary restraining order that Bukafari admitted that she had fabricated the rape allegation and it had been plotting it from the moment Blake dumped her. Bukafari responded to that. Restraining order by threatening to kill herself if Braun didn't talk to her. Braun also stated that Bukafari became obsessed with her and her children and was worried that she might kidnap, hurt, or even kill them uh, in order to kind of whatever get back at Blake and her. Um, but Bukafari claims that she's a victim also in all of this. Basically, everyone in Blake's world was blindsided by this because it is a pretty horrific crime, even if you thought it was a huge fucking baby. It's whatever. As I mentioned before, he had a history of uh, bipolar and mental illness on his mom's side. So people were kind of pointing to maybe that being something that he had never had treated. And then, of course, there's like a lot of the revisionist history. Like, oh, shit. He looking back now, I should have seen. Right. He checked all of these sociopathic boxes off. His friend, Jeremy Tenzer, however, believes that Blake had been. He believes Blake was set up by the Russian mafia. He's quoted as saying, I had a reasonable doubt. He told me a year before that he was afraid of being leveraged by the mob. In June, so this is about a month after the murder, he went to the FBI field office and told agents that he and Blake had been life hacked uh, and that he was dragged into this whole mess. So he started panicking about that the mob was after him too. At some point in June, someone called... Tensor's dad in Canada and told them that the son was behaving erratically. And a dozen cop cars came screeching to his apartment in the Fairfax district of uh, LA. Um, a helicopter actually came, like the SWAT team arrived and were threatening to break down his door. I guess maybe someone said he was suicidal or something. Inside, they found him in the bathtub, like shivering in, in fear with a white towel draped over him. According to him, he said, I thought if, if I did that, they wouldn't be able to see me. He called one of his celebrity clients, Jack Osborne, and Jack arrived on the scene to help him, and eventually, after a a seven-hour standoff, he surrendered to the police and then was released shortly after. He didn't do anything. It was just like a well-being check or something, but it seems a little insane, right? He returned to the FBI the next morning to see if the agency had done anything about the life-hacking claim, and they said they had not and recommended that he check himself into a mental hospital, He actually did do that, which is good, and he um, requested a hearing, I guess, to secure his freedom after that, because I guess once you admit yourself, you have to kind of prove that you're okay to be released again, right? even if it's voluntary. right? He said there was nothing wrong with him. He just had a lot of anxiety and felt that justice was being obstructed in this murder investigation against his friend, and basically claims that he had PTSD and some kind of nervous breakdown about it all. So- and he claims that he was being gaslighted and all of this kind of stuff, which is like I kind of believe him because it's like he did get drawn into this right. situation this with his friend world. and he believed what his friend was telling him. There was discussion that Blake could face a death penalty if convicted, but they ended up before trial saying that they would not seek that. So he will face life in prison. if it, The trial is going on right now, by the way. I can't uh, remember. It started right. last week. Um, he has a public defender, and he's pleading not guilty to the uh, charges. Diana is uh, obviously a toddler right now and being raised by her grandmother in the Ukraine. The trial, some interesting things have come out. I mean, he's basically showing up every day shackled. He's gained a lot of weight since being uh, incarcerated. He's still on suicide prevention and wears a suicide prevention vest. What's that? I have no idea. I should have researched it, but I was maybe it's just something where you can't. I, I don't know. I should look it up. Maybe I'll post it on our Facebook group. They're, you know, his his team has, you know, their own things basically saying he's not getting a fair trial and talking about all these kind of other, you know, reasonable doubt being the mob kind of connections and stuff like that. My question, Desi, why would they go after him instead of Cody? How come Cody, his brother? Is that his name? Corey? Cody? Cody. Yeah. Well, why isn't Cody? Like, why wouldn't they go after him? Well, they maybe. I don't know, but maybe because they want to get the money. He has the money, so maybe if they think they threaten the low... Like, they don't want to kill the person with the money. Yeah, I guess so. I, I don't know how it works. So, do you think that was the mob he personally? No. Okay. <laughs> I think he had... I think that stress of that situation maybe had him have a nervous breakdown... Right. ...and do something he wouldn't have normally done. Well, maybe? there's also the comic book, right? Right. So, let me get into that. So, as I said, the trial just started like over a week ago, Friday, not last Friday but the Friday before, so like a week and a half ago. Right. Um and one of the the big sort of evidence that the the prosecution is pre- presenting is drawing parallels between the murder and the graphic novel syndrome that mm. I mentioned uh, right. up top. I as I said before, it's like a fictional story about someone trying to heal a psychopathic killer and includes a brutal murder that seemed very similar to what happened to Ayana. So they're basically claiming he followed a script that was in the book. It was almost like a foreshadowing to what he ended up doing to this woman. That's like a very law and order SVU. Right. Yeah, they find the book like, what was this? Right. I mean, the other sad thing is like they're showing all these graphic pictures of this murder and her mom is in the courtroom watching this and she's like, you know, gasping and burying her head and leaving the courtroom because it's obviously... Not something you want to fucking It's awful. See. Another witness happened this past week. He is named Robert Ryan, and he was the co-author of Syndrome. So he was called by the prosecution. On Tuesday, uh, last Tuesday, he actually said that Lee, like Blake did not write or illustrate those scenes, which was something that the defense wanted to like definitely be like, yeah, yeah, he didn't write right. this. But when he was like cross-examined after that by the um, deputy district attorney... He said he didn't write the scenes, but he was the one who came up with the idea of a victim being drained of all their blood. He said that Blake told us he had done a lot of research on serial killers. And he mimicked how Blake jerked his hands upward and illustrated how a victim would be flipped upside down to drain them of all their blood. But according to the chief medical examiner... Cassian was not hung to dry, dry, drain her blood. She actually showed signs of being submerged in water, foam in her nostrils, and she had wrinkled fingertips, which made the prosecutors think that maybe she had been put in the bathtub with running water, and that hastens the release right. of blood. I guess that's like a suicide thing, right? Like yeah. you go in there. So that's where we're at. The trial's still going on, so we'll <sighs> keep you updated. Just another little tidbit gossip thing. Cody is still out there fucking living life large. He recently bought... Reba McIntyre's mansion in an area called, um, what is it called? Like some Beverly Hills, Beverly Park Uh, the other little tidbit about that that made me laugh is that the, the listing agent in that sale was Mauricio, who is Kyle Richard's husband on Beverly Hills house, uh, the housewives, real housewives of Beverly Hills. Before that, he had, um, made real estate news in the previous May by selling his home in Beverly Crest to Katy Perry. So he's just kind of out there living large large while his brother's like, and they like, when I would read, I looked up the father and the brother to see that's how I found the real estate information. I was like, well, what are, what are they saying about this? There's like no story where they talk of like in this real estate profile, it's like not once did they mention and his brother's on trial for, it's almost like it doesn't exist. Even though it's, this story was like this week, the same week as the trial. And it like was not even in the, They're like, they're like Mariah Carey. I don't know her. Right. (laughs) It was insane. That's wild. So yeah, that's the story. That's where we're at. And I'll, I'll try to keep post, keep on track of the trial and see what happens. But uh, it
0: takes a lot to make me squeamish. That was pretty gruesome. That's pretty bad. Like
1: I actually said this because I think it happened on Westworld a few episodes ago. Uh, Like scalping is my thing that I cannot see. Same. That fucking sends me over the edge. Westworld does it a lot. Right, but there was, like, one maybe four episodes ago. I can't even remember. I don't even know if it's a spoiler, but it was, like, something I could not bear to watch. Like right. I was like, this is going to send me over the edge. Like, I fucking can't. I can almost watch anything. I can't
0: deal but with that it But that is either. something that fucking sends
1: me, like, it makes me cringe beyond. I don't want to see any skin being removed. Yeah, it's really bad. That's, and can't. that one sounds pretty, I mean, the other insane thing to th- Think about is that he had his baby the whole fucking time. Like what t- I mean, I know it's a three-week old baby and they can sleep a lot. Right. But still, like, like what do you do? Stop your torture to go give it a bottle? Like, what like oh my god. It's that, so crazy.
0: A so, poor baby.
1: Isn't that an insane story? But I had known like about the murder, but when it came to all the gambling stuff, I was like, wait, Molly's game? <laughs> like, this story is like so hardcore Hollywood,
0: like it, through and through. It really is. Like I I knew the story when it first broke, when the body was like when he was initially arrested, right? Because it was all in West Hollywood, right? So like I remember reading the story and being like, "Holy shit!" But I didn't know like all these weird connections to all these people. Right. I just was like, "Oh, some fucking
1: like, Well, there's so many people are trying person. to be director or whatever, right? Like, yeah. Who even
0: is this guy? Mm-hmm. That this story, I'm shook right now. Does he? Oh. I am. You shook me. <laughs>
1: I'm Good. Very, I'm, very I'm always worried when it's like a story that it's not like really famous, but it, it's so crazy to me. I mean, it's an insane story. Well, usually
0: I am I do the gruesome LA murders that aren't like famous people necessarily. Right. So this was like a flipping of the script. Right. Desi's more the old Hollywood. <laughs> and I'm like the let's talk about the 70s people. I think I had
1: mentioned this story to you a while ago. Like- When I first saw that Hollywood Reporter thing. Right, And it was like, oh, I think you were even thinking of maybe doing it, but then you did something else. I'm shaking to my core
0: right now. Okay. So I'm going to thank our Patreon contributors right now. If you'd like to become a Patreon member, you can go to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene, and we post bonus content there. And this week we had some lovely contributors. We had Ashley... Paige, Elizabeth, Ryan. Also, Ryan, I got your email. It was very sweet. And I'm glad that you love our show. We had Jen. And that's it. Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And check out our Facebook group, we Hollywood Talking Friends. Talk about cases there and whatnot. And people suggest things to us. And I almost did a suggestion this week. Yeah. But I felt like it was a bigger thing. So I'm going to hold off on it. Right. But, right. Yeah.